Joseph. And welcome to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Mintz. We are recording on Monday morning. It is the first day of August, everybody. Happy August. We're recording bright and early because today is the Major League Baseball trade deadline day. And we have a very special guest joining us. We have Tommy Stokey, who is the director of content for FanRag Sports. He's also responsible for breaking the Chris Sale news last weekend and uh, also got the scoop on the Aroldis Chapman trade. So we got Tommy joining us in a little bit to talk about the trade deadline, talk about some baseball stuff that's happened, and uh, finally get some baseball into the show. But coming in right now is my co-host and good buddy, Joseph Nardone. Joe, how was your weekend? It was good. It was quick. I got Stranger Things. I'll I'll finish up if you haven't watched that enough. Oh my gosh! How is that show, man? That is all Twitter talks about. Let, let me I, I, now. I'm I'm going to admit in the front end that I might still be caught in the moment because I'm only a few days removed from finishing it. Um, it of the last ten years, it's the second best show I've watched next to Breaking Bad. Wow, really? And it's only one season so far, right? It's it's only eight episodes, and okay. that's the whole series. Is there not a second season? No, no. It just it literally just came out. Um, I don't know if it's designed to be a limited series. Like if next year when they do a Stranger Things, it'll be a brand new story or not? Because they leave it. I don't want to spoil anything, but um, for eight episodes, you're never bored. Um, it's one of those type of things you can't stop watching. You'll finish the first episode, be like, let me start the second. And then all of a sudden you're done with all the eight episodes. The writing in it's fantastic. Winona Ryder, um, probably her, definitely her best act, acting job in years. Uh, Matthew Modine's great in it. The kid actors are great. I can't say enough enough nice things about it. I know it's not because it's kind of there's elements of supernaturalism, I guess, towards it. But it's still a really good drama. Um, it reminds me of it's like part Goonies, part. Stephen King. If I, I don't know how to explain it correctly. I just thought it was really, really good. And if you have eight episodes of your life to waste, I think it's not even wasting them. It's really, really, really good. Yeah, that's cool. That's exciting. I'm definitely going to have to get into that at some point. Uh, like I said, Twitter's been like going nuts about it, and Twitter's never wrong about anything. Right? Never. Never. I, I think that's a good way to start our show with some bad tweets. Right. Yeah, let's cue the music. Cry MJ memes with the side of some racism. Many hot takes. Some of them. Bad tweets. Alright, speaking of Stranger Things, oddly. Um, <laughs> what a perfect segue. Uh, so, Draymond Green um, on Sunday. Um... <laughs> What do you think we weren't going to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, right. This was almost going to be the whole show, even though we're having a really good baseball reporter on the show in a little bit. Um, at Money Twenty Twenty Three Green, um, Draymond Green's a notorious below the nether regions kicker and a very good basketball player as well. Hacked ellipses. He used far too many. There's only supposed to be three. He has five here. Can't win right now. This is in reference to the. Picture of his nether regions heard around the mean streets of Twitter yesterday. Yeah, so Draymond Green Snapchatted a picture of his wiener yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what's, the, what's the appropriate... Is wiener the appropriate podcast? It's not wanker or just penis. It's wiener. Like, what's the most politically correct way we can do this? So last night before <laughs> I went to bed, I was watching Sports Center for a little bit to try to catch up on baseball and see if any trades were coming in. And uh, they actually jumped to a quick segment where a reporter in such a serious face is like, <laughs> Draymond Green posted a picture of his penis on Snapchat. <laughs> so, so I guess technically we're calling it a penis, but uh, 
anyway, so yeah, this is disgusting and bothersome that we're talking about that as much. But Draymond Green had a bad day yesterday, and he let Twitter know it. He let them know that he can't win right now. Draymond followed it up by saying he was hacked. I think that was his first response. And then later in the day, he confessed that uh, he had meant to send that private, but he made it you know public or whatever. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm old. So uh, I guess what it is is you can post your stories public or you could send them to, to people like a direct message type of deal. And uh, Draymond got caught, man. Draymond pulled a Ray Allen, and uh, instead of sending a DM, he posted it for the world to see. And unfortunately, it wasn't just dirty talk. It was a dirty picture. And it's all of the irony because... The word groin was associated with Draymond Green more than any athlete in the history of professional sports over the last couple months. And uh, here we go, getting an inside look at groin with Draymond. His 30 for 30 is going to be about penis and testicles. <laughs> it's, it's, it's inevitable. Um, I hope he ends up being a Hall of Fame player. He's probably on that projection trajectory. And uh, I can't wait for it. I can't wait for his Hall of Fame speech to be 90% about kicking people and that the, that accidental penis picture he sent yesterday on Sunday. And uh, I think, like, listen, man, I'm older. Don't send my penis out to anybody on the uh, on the Internet. Um, I know younger people tend to do that, so good for them. Uh, I just think you got to be a little more careful with the send button before you send it because, you know, it's your penis. And I'm fine. Like, listen, man, if that's what, he, if that's what he's into, if that's his thing and that's how he's going to get ladies... Um, good for him, man. I see go for it. Like, I didn't even get, like, when Brett Favre did it, like, his was more confusing because he was married, so there's the adulterer aspect of that, so, like, that's not as cool. But if you're a single dude and you're just looking to, to woo a woman and the way you woo a woman in 2016 is by sending them a picture of your wanker, go for it. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take the opposite stance. <laughs> Whether or not that's popular, I don't know, but um, just don't do that stuff because, A, it's it's kind of assault to just... To just send a lady a picture of your wiener? What if she, what if was prompted? I mean, you, I don't know, man. I the way you just approached it, as in, a, if this is how you're picking up women, good for you. I don't know that I could take that stance, just because again, I do feel like it's kind of a salty. I think Draymond Green should stand up this morning, erect, and just feel good about himself for doing what he thought was right. I mean, I don't really think Draymond feels bad. <laughs> Are you about not going to acknowledge that 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 phrasing I used? Yeah, I'm not coming at all. I again, like, I, we're bordering on that episode of Beavis and Butthead where the gym teacher gets up in their faces the day that they can't laugh, they'll get in trouble if they laugh. Well, how, like, seriously though, like, how firm and hard is your stance on this penis? I hate you, man. I, I'm like, I, listen, this is a serious topic, and I don't want anybody to think we're having a serious conversation about this. But the one serious aspect of this is, if you're listening. It's a bad idea to send pictures of your private parts to people. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. Like, like my only cautionary, like, not co- I don't have a cautionary here. I'm out. Like, just when before I hit send, just cautionary. If you do in fact send a picture, this is make, what you need to do. You would just make sure you're sending it the like. I am at, I have I don't have Instagram either. I'm assuming the setup's kind of similar. You could direct message or Snapchat, post. buddy. It's Snapchat. Whatever. It's all the same. Jesus, uh, we're dinosaurs. Yeah, we really are. Um, Soon we'll be talking about our MySpace pages, um, which I, I kind of want to bring MySpace back. But, um, yeah, dude, just be more careful, Draymond. Yeah, it's also, it's funny. I mean, like, I didn't want to talk about this to talk about the Draymond, like, the aspect of what we're actually talking about. I'd rather talk about the subject, which is Draymond Green, okay? It's Draymond Green. And it's interesting that, like, 
2015 was the summer of Draymond. Like, he just came off winning a championship. All of a sudden, he's in the conversation of, like, 15 best players or so in the NBA, if not more. He, he, you know, he's hot. He gets this max contract. He has an awesome moment at the parade after his team wins a championship. He All of a sudden, he's like the rock when anybody interviews him, and he's got all the swag. And you fast forward a year, and <laughs> he gets suspended a game in the finals. His team blows a 3-1 lead. Now this, like, it's it's been a rough summer for Draymond Green. Are man. you calling this the fall of Draymond? It might be. I mean, I, again, like... What if this got... is the turning point? Like, what if, like, like last year, all is kicking to the nether regions, then getting suspended, then Golden State lo- losing the finals, and then this, and then all of a sudden he becomes bad at basketball, and we're all going to point to this moment in time of him accidentally sending a picture out of his wanker as the downfall of Draymond Green. Yeah, so he had one of the greatest NBA Finals games ever in Game 7. I know they lost, but, like, his game score in that game, for whatever that's <laughs> worth, was, like, off the charts, like, top 10 all-time or something like that, if not higher. So I, I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> I think he'll bounce back. But, I mean, if this is it, if this is that moment where it's, like, it was all downhill for Draymond Green after he Snapchatted that picture of his wiener, um, yeah, it'd be bad. I, I hope that's not the case. I think he's got a gold medal coming to him over the next few weeks, so I think he'll have a pretty quick bounce back. But what if they, what if he what if he embraces this role and he does it like once a week? He becomes the the DP guy, the guy that that shares DPs all. Yeah, time. and he's just like you know whatever. I, I'm, I'm, it turns out to be good luck. Yeah, like what? If they, that's his thing. Yeah, like that that becomes like his his gimmick, like in basketball. Like it'll get him endorsements, like by U Porn or somebody like that. And uh, he could probably parlay this into a lot of money. In fact, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to advocate for Draymond Green to make this a once-a-week thing. I think if this ever happens again, <laughs> I think Adam Silver is going to have a heart attack and probably... But there's probably, not a, the there's probably not a rule for this yet. They're going to have to create the Draymond Green wiener pick rule. You're probably right. That's that's That might be the best thing to come out of this, is we're going to get progressive towards wiener pick rules. <laughs> it's all going to be because of Draymond. So maybe the summer Draymond is just continuing, and I'm oblivious to it, and I think this is a, a bad look for him, but really, he's changing the world. He's a revolutionary. That's what I'm saying. All right, we spent way too much time talking about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was our best segment ever, in my opinion. Yeah, probably. Our ratings are going through the roof right now. Um, so I don't have a bad tweet today, but somebody somebody's going to replace me, and that somebody's going to be Tommy Stokey, who, again, is director of content for FanRag Sports Network. He has become an awesome baseball reporter. He broke some big news last week. And Tommy's going to join us with his bad tweet and to give us some baseball talk. So, Joe, hit the music again. You got it. Cry MJ memes with the side of some racism. Many hot takes. Some of them. Bad tweet. All right, Tommy, what do you have for your bad tweet? All right, so with the MLB trade deadline, you have a lot of reporters out there that I feel like it's, it's young reporters, inexperienced reporters, and it. I, by all means, am not, you know, experienced a ton in that area, but I just feel like there are so many people trying to break in and they're trying to go about it the wrong way. And so you got people that, you know, five minutes after somebody big, a Ken Rosenthal, our own John Heyman, you know, report something that they come out and paraphrase it and make it their own five minutes later. And it's like, Eventually, the smart people catch on, and I just don't know that that's the most effective way of trying to establish yourself. Um, do I think that they're making it up? Not necessarily, but it just seems you know fishy that five minutes after 
something's reported six times a day, it happens that, oh, I just so happen to have the same exact report. And the other thing I see on Twitter during the trade deadline is, is almost people aggregating tweets, but without giving credit. If you were to do that on a website where if somebody reports something, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and just tweet my own tweet and say, this is going to happen or this might happen per so-and-so, but doing it for everyone. Twitter's made it so easy that you can just retweet, quote tweet, that there shouldn't be a, a reason to kind of aggregate that yourself to kind of put yourself in the, the rumor or kind of get that extra credit. So I know the credit game is weird and, you know, everybody's trying to break in and do their own thing. And I certainly don't have the answers for it, but that's something that I think we've noticed during the trade trade deadline happened pretty often. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that you kind of see in, in a lot of sports. And I guess that's what happens when you just have Twitter and you have so many websites and you have so many writers who are trying to make a name and trying to come up. I actually unfollowed somebody during NBA free agency because they tweeted out before, you know, all the Dwayne Wade insanity settled. They tweeted out, Dwayne Wade's going to the Cavs. It's, it's a deal. It's final. It's official. And it was like someone who has like 600 followers who's just, you know, he's, he's a blogger for a team, for a website I'd never heard of. And he tweeted that. And I, I kind of DM'd him and was like, where are you getting this? And he's like, I'm talking to Dwayne Wade's agent. And it's like, come on, man. You're not talking to Dwayne Wade's agent. Dwayne Wade's not going to the Cavs. Like, you're just tweeting this and hoping that you get it right. And it's the type of thing that it's funny because, you know, you mentioned that you see it from a lot of people, and you do. You see it from, from bigger basketball writers, too, or bigger sports writers. Not you know necessarily national guys, but, but guys who kind of have a lot of followers on Twitter and, and write for websites that do get some hits. It, it's just interesting to, to try and not just, not just aggregate, not just see Ken Rosenthal or Woj or whoever it is in their business tweeting it, but then to, to also tweet it or to make things up with it. It's, it's definitely an annoying trend that we see in sports reporting. Yeah, I, th- I imagine most of it has to deal with the fact that for like the lower level bloggers, it's just a way to try to garner attention, as to as opposed to making contacts, um, getting three sources, and actually reporting. Uh, for somebody like Tommy or like Jake Fisher, a previous guest on the show, people that do a lot of reporting, um, there's a lot of work that gets goes involved with it. Um, somebody's not going to come out of the blue necessarily and start breaking news. So like Tommy said before, when some guy all of a sudden is only five minutes after the news is already reported, regularly breaking news, maybe on a national scale and not a local one, because you can see the local one may be happening if the person develops a rapport with the club. Um, it's just, it's weird. It's funny. It's kind of obvious most of the time. Um, and those people, I, I imagine, by and large, become kind of untouchable commodities as far as... Um, employment is concerned yeah and from i guess what i see it's you know you look at it and it's just like you kind of face palm is like really you're really going to try to act like <laughs> this is original or your own and you know some people do it as a way of just giving out information and that i completely understand that if you're going to take somebody's tweet and you know say that john Heyman says um you know jonathan lucroy is close to being traded if I want to take that and just use it as information for my followers, that's one thing. But for me to say, I'm hearing that Lucroy might be close to being traded, two minutes after that happens, it's like, oh, that's what you heard? Yeah, so did everybody who is following us. That's what they <laughs> too. So, so that's that's my thing. If you're using it for information to, to let your followers know, um, that that's one thing, and that I think is genuine. But there's a lot of 
um, the opposite going on. Well, what, what makes you more? What would make you more frustrated? The say you or John Heyman or anybody. It doesn't even have to be somebody with fan rank. Somebody breaks news. Does sources? Player X is being traded to Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Um, would it make you more mad if two minutes later they just coin that as their own, or is it those same people that say I can confirm when you know they're not actually confirming? They're just doubling down in a more professional way. Um, I, I would say that it's the people that kind of take it as their own. The confirming thing, you know, a lot of this is is, is new to us. Um, the confirming thing, I think, is is legit. Whether it means a whole lot or nothing um, is is kind of up for debate. But you know, for me, as a if if I'm reporting something, and, and again, this doesn't happen very often. I don't want to sound like I'm out here. You're the sham of FanRack. You're the sham. Heyman's the woge. You're the sham of FanRack. Not quite, but you know, with um, with the confirming thing, just because somebody else says something doesn't mean that I'm going to take it as truth. So there are people that maybe believe one guy and don't believe another. And so in that case, you know, if I have a story, even if somebody else beats me. Um, you know, I, I want to say, yeah, I, I have it confirmed. Now, I, again, I don't ever do that. Um, sometimes there have been things in the past that I could confirm and I just didn't say anything because when nobody knows who you are, it just comes off as that, yeah, okay, sure. So it's, I think you almost have to pick your spots. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a weird dynamic the way that it's, it's going and the way that things are moving with the, the reporting stuff. Yeah, it sure seems that way. Now, we like to be productive and even proactive on this show. So last week, you broke the, the Chris Sale news about why he was being suspended and why he was upset and why he was scratched from his start. It was funny, you know, along the lines of this, as soon as he got scratched, you had a billion people on Twitter say, oh, he's getting traded. Now we just got to find out where he's getting traded. But you actually broke the news that it was because of you know, a problem in the locker room. And then, again, on Monday, we broke the news about Aroldis Chapman being traded to the Cubs. So getting back to fake reporting and all these people on Twitter who want to break news, why don't we ask you for advice? What would be the best way to go about actually getting this news and being a credible reporter and and really breaking stuff that's meaningful on Twitter instead of just aggregating or making rumors up? Um, You know, I don't have... If I had that answer, I'd be I'd be breaking a lot more. I guess just my <laughs> experience is it's it's about building relationships. And I mean, if you see these people that are at the top of their level, how long have they been doing it? They've been doing it twenty, thirty years, and so sure. that's how they know so many people. And so I think that that's something where these you know I'm going to sound old and call kids. I mean, I'm, I'm twenty five, so I'm a kid, <laughs> kind of, um, but they don't understand how much work on the backside has been put in for these guys to get all these stories. Um, you know, they're talking to guys for, for 20 years who, and maybe they don't say a word and they spend 20 years building that reputation and that relationship up just to get that one story. Um, that's where, you know, you're not just going to walk in and, and just start getting things from people and getting information. It's, it's really a, a relationship building process and I think that that's something that kind of gets lost. You know, maybe you're just expecting things from somebody, um, but it's 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 a long process. And in the sports writing 
business is a long process anyway. I mean, if you look at, you know, columnist, everybody used to want to be the columnist for the newspaper. Well, those guys had to be a beat writer for 20 years before they got that. Well, now everybody just wants to walk into the columnist job without putting in that 20 years or whatever in the back end. So I think it goes for the same thing with this. Uh, you know, you just have to put in that time where there's not a lot of reward. And, you know, hopefully in the end, at some point there is. It's just being patient enough to trust the process, if you will. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're process trusters. RIP Sam Hinkie. We, we totally understand patience and building something good. I'm glad you said trust the process. And uh, it's been great, you know, watching you report all these great things. With that in mind, today's the MLB trade deadline. It's one of the big reasons we're having you on the show. You're very plugged into baseball. That he's famous now. And you're, you're famous, right? That's really why we're having you on the show today. But you're really plugged into baseball, and uh, not a lot of stuff went down this weekend. So with today being the last day of the trade deadline and us really only being hours away from all deals needing to be finalized, are there any trades that you're expecting to see made today or what? Yeah, I think the big one that everybody's waiting on is Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, obviously, he had the the trade that he vetoed, and, and that's something that's in his power. And I know that Joe is very um, supportive of players using their, their rights um, <laughs> in situations like this. And I know that a lot of people got mad and because normally people don't use their no-trade clause rights. And so Luke Roy could block a trade to eight teams. The Indians were one of them. And apparently... I think the report out there is that the Indians said to him, when our catcher is healthy next year, he's going to catch. You'll be backup catcher, but you'll play first place. You'll play DH. I don't know if I necessarily believe that because you're not going to trade away the package that you're trading away, which is three top 20 prospects for a guy that's going to be a backup. So I don't know if that's exactly true, but now that he's not going to Cleveland, it kind of changes the landscape because it sounds like Texas, the Rangers are going to come in. The Rangers are the best team in the American League. Um, they have a six-game lead over the Astros. They need a catcher, could probably use a bullpen. They really need a starter. But if they get a catcher and they they get that boost and not Cleveland, that changes things. I mean, people were plugging Cleveland into the World Series against the Cubs, and it was like, let's set the world on fire and have a Cleveland-Chicago <laughs> World Series. Um but that changes things, and the Indians have the worst um, production out of their catcher in the league. So not having that now is is uh, it's a game changer. So we'll see what happens with Luke Roy, but he is certainly the the big name that everybody's waiting on. Now I, I I'm sorry, Jared. No, um, go ahead. Now I'm obviously not too familiar with baseball's nuances on contracts. Why is it such a um, why was it such a shock that a guy? Use his veto power to veto a trade. Like, what if they're if it's, if it's not something regularly used? Why are they even putting contracts? Well, in this case, it was a surprise because the Brewers are losing. They are rebuilding. They're going to be losing next year. Lucroy has a five and a half ish, five point two five million dollar um, option next year. Um, so that's already built into his contract. So so people are just assuming, okay, your contract's already set. This is what you're going to make next year. And now you're going to go make it while playing for a winning team. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And, you know, there have been a lot of reports saying that he just wants to win. He's come out and said, you know, I'm, I, I want to win. That's what I want to do. Okay, well, now you're being traded to a team that could be the best team in the American League, and you're going to win. And you say, uh, 
Not except, that I thought I'm going to stay here. Except Cleveland, yeah. <laughs> I want to win except in Cleveland. But but the thing there is, you know, on a personal level, if he felt like he wasn't going to get the playing time that he wanted, if he felt that they weren't going to have him catch where he could possibly be more valuable because, you know, the, the catching department is rather thin, that's a business decision. You know, if he says, I'm not going to be in a spot going into free agency where I can set myself up to make the most money as possible, I don't. I really don't blame him for that. It, 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 he puts himself in a bad spot because he says, I just want to win right now. Um but they put in the no trade clauses so you can have leverage. You'll see a lot of people put the Red Sox and the Yankees on the, their no trade list. Uh, Jay Bruce, who might get traded today from the Reds, he has those teams on his no trade list. It's not that he doesn't want to go there. It's that he knows that he can negotiate and have negotiating power and say, okay, if you're going to get me and if I'm going to sign off on this trade, I want you to pay me more money. So that's what Luke Roy did. Luke Roy said, rip up my team option so I'm a free agent at the end of the year and then I'll accept this trade, the Indians said, well, we're not giving up this package if we're only going to get you for two months. Makes sense. Makes sense. And we already saw them give up a bunch yesterday for Andrew Miller, which I thought was a good trade for them. I, As a Yankee fan, I'm a big fan of Andrew Miller. I think he's one of the better closers in baseball. Aside from Luke Roy, are there any big-name guys that you could see getting traded today? Any, you know, like, like we brought up Chris Sale earlier. Anyway, you see Sale or... Is he made Jose Quintana going anywhere? I think the Yankees trade Beltran. I mean, anybody big you think gets traded besides Luke Roy? Ryan Howard. Yeah, um, Howard's not going anywhere. But Beltran, uh, I think the Yankees move him. I don't think he's good enough to be to be a qualifying offer guy, so that's not like they're going to get a draft pick in the offseason. Um, so I think they move him. Um, as far as the, the big name Sale and Quintana, the White Sox are kind of a mess. Um I mean, if the Jersey thing didn't say that enough, then looking... <laughs> if Drake always, didn't say it enough, I mean, right. it's been a mess for months now. Yeah, they're, they're always caught in the 500 area. They're never terrible, but they're never, you know, the favorite, if you will. And so I just feel like now is the time, if you're ever going to do it, that there are there's no starting pitching on the market. And you not you not only have one, but you have two guys that would be easily the best on the market in Quintana and Chris Sale. They're cheap deals. You have people that need starting pitching, and you have teams that will pay for it. If you're ever going to do it, now's the time. I think that I don't think that they'll pull the trigger. Um, they certainly don't have to. They have all the negotiating power. They can wait. Uh, but if you wait to the offseason, then you've got guys like Chris Archer out there. You have Sonny Gray, who has been really bad this year, but you imagine that he'll have more trade value in the offseason um, because people will forget how bad he was this year. So that's, that's my thing that I think the White Sox, if they're ever going to do it, they should do it now. I just don't think they will. So those are the big t- names that I think you'll be disappointed to hear. So that makes Rich Hill the, the starting pitcher that everybody is waiting for. But he's on the DL with a blister issue, which came at the worst possible time for Oakland. Yeah, it did. And, you know, you brought up Chris Archer and talking about big-name pitchers. Any chance you see the Rays selling? I know Archer and Matt Moore are potentially on the block today. Yeah, I think the Dodgers need to make a move. And the Dodgers, um, you know, John Heyman reported that the Dodgers were kind of discouraged by the the Chris Sale talks, so they moved on to look at Archer. Uh, Andrew Friedman is the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, used to be the GM for Tampa Bay, so you have a connection there. Um, Tampa Bay in the past has generally stuck to off-season trades with the exception of David Price. Uh, they have a lot of different pieces that can go, whether it's Archer, whether it's Matt Moore, Jake Odorizzi, Drew Smiley. Um, 
So who knows? And so they might take advantage of the dry starting pitching market and say, okay, well, here's, here's Chris Archer on a, a cheap six year, $25.5 million deal. Um, they are starting, you know, they kind of hold the cards in the starting pitching market since the White Sox aren't moving anybody. Right. Makes sense. So that's what you think could potentially happen today. And unfortunately, I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear this after the deadline passes. So why don't we be a little more productive and talk about some of the trades that have already happened? What are your thoughts on some of the moves we've seen over the last week? You know, as as we were talking about earlier, the Yankees have unloaded both Aroldis Chapman and Andrew Miller. Been a couple other trades. What's what's really caught your eye so far? What do you think kind of changes the landscape of baseball for this season? You know, I think I don't know. If, the first thing that caught my eye is the Yankees. That you know, Brian Cashman is the GM, and you know, when you let him do his job. And it's kind of crazy that when you when you put people in a place to do their job and you let them do that job, sometimes they're pretty good at it. And Brian Cashman finally got Hal Steinbrenner to, to let him sell like he's been wanting to, and he turns in two months of Aroldis Chapman into uh, Gleyber Torres, who is uh, the number one prospect for the Yankees before they traded for Frazier uh, in the Miller deal. Then you get Adam Warren, who can help. You get Billy McKinney. So that was a big haul. Then he turns Andrew Miller into even more prospects in, in Clint Frazier, Justice Sheffield. So the Yankees selling, the Yankees getting permission to sell, and then just they have like 10 or 11 top 100 prospects. All of a sudden, they're not that far away anymore in, in relative terms. You know, they still might be three or four years, but they can do that. They can they can move those guys for other guys if the Steinbrenners <coughs> get impatient again. So... What the Yankees have done, I don't know how much it changes the landscape in baseball. Obviously, you give one of the best closers in baseball to um, the Cubs and Chapman. You give Miller to the Indians. That in itself is what makes baseball great, that a New York team is selling to a Cleveland team. Um, So, so far, I think the Yankees have kind of uh, made all the waves. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry, Joe. Go ahead. So so does that mean, because all the prospects the Yankees got, that the real winners of the trade deadline is actually the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. <laughs> I'm being serious about that. Like, should I buy tickets now? Are they double-A or single-A? To triple-A. Triple-A. Yeah, they're actually going to be uh, – they might be exciting. They That might be your investment, season tickets there. Get the autographs while you can. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's my big baseball knowledge drop. Yeah, I was going to apologize, Joe, because obviously we're going into the Yankees now and my eyes are lighting up because, like, I've been waiting for this for years. And not that, you know, not that the Yankees can't always put together a team full of, you know, 30-something-year-olds and try to compete for a wild-card spot, but it's not what you hope for with this team. You know, you kind of hope for, for long-term sustainability. And when you're giving out contracts to Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez that will exceed so far beyond their their primes and their peaks, and these are guys that just are constantly banged up. I mean, it's nice to see the team take some of the other pieces that, you know, while they're helping them win today, they're not helping them ultimately win. So it's nice to see them turn around and flip those pieces for younger players. It's something in, I don't know, you said you're 25. I've been a diehard Yankee baseball fan for at least 26 or 27 years now. And it's nice to see them finally do this. It's nice to see Brian Cashman, like you said, be allowed to do his job and be allowed to, to trade some of the better players on the team who won't have any value past this year, and that's not really true for Miller, but Chapman and Beltran, you know, Gonzo after this year. It's nice to see them get back some value for some of the players that don't have any kind of long-term, you know, 
being with this team. Um, do you think they're done? Do you think that they go out and, and trade some of the other guys today? Uh, yeah, I think they're going to try to move Beltron. If if anybody will take uh, Nova, they'll, they'll they'll certainly get rid of him. Uh, Brett Gardner could be out there, uh, but with the Yankees and and selling it, the big misconception, and I think you hit on it, saying that you're a Yankees fan and you wanted this to happen for a while, is everybody's thought, oh, it's the Yankees, they can't sell. They're they expect greatness, they expect winning. Well, they're not stupid. They see the product on the field. And it's not winning. It's not greatness. So get there faster by you know moving these players that aren't going to help you win when you, when your team is ready to win and, and go replenish the farm system. So I think that there was this huge misconception, this huge cloud over the Yankees that oh they can't sell. We're the Yankees, and it's all their fans are like, what are you talking about? We understand that this team is not very good. Just do it already. So I always thought that that was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it was. And it's funny because I don't even think the players thought they would sell. I remember yes, yesterday I was hearing uh, A-Rod said something like, there's no one to blame for this but ourselves, as the team was clearly distraught that they moved Miller. I think trading Chapman was, was one of those things where the, the locker room said to themselves, well, we can understand he wasn't really supposed to be here past this year. You know, they probably were going to let him go, look at who we have in the bullpen as it is. He was just a cherry on top of the Sunday. Then you trade Miller, who you have under contract, track for another couple years years still and it's oh wow we're really selling we're really doing this we're really breaking this team up and it's really a locker room full of veterans it's a lot of guys who maybe haven't played together for for that long but a lot of guys who have been in baseball for a while and for whatever you want to say or professional baseball players for a long time so it, it was interesting to hear that there was sadness in the clubhouse yesterday and that they kind of couldn't believe that they traded Miller and it, it's good it's good to see that they finally are doing this because I couldn't believe they did it. The players couldn't believe they did it. But Cashman's finally being allowed to do his job, and, and I like what he's gotten back so far. Yeah, I think A-Rod said it yesterday. It was Maybe it was him, maybe somebody else, that you know we have nobody to blame but ourselves for this, and, and that right. part's true. But it's kind of just the human element that these guys spend every day with each other for, you know, whether it's 100 and some odd days during the season, whether it's been multiple years. And so to see that, it's kind of like, man, and then even as a competitor, it's like, wow, we are not very good this year, and this kind of confirms it. So, it, yeah, I mean, that's the, the human element side to it that people for, tend to forget. So aside from the Yankees, who else has been a winner? Who's been a loser heading into the deadline? Um, you know, it, it kind of depends on what happens today. I think Boston and Texas could be on either side of that. I think Boston still needs to do more than get Pomerantz, especially with the pieces that they have. Um, but I will be impressed if Dave Dombrowski holds on to their prospects because he's never done that in the past anywhere that he's been, and Boston certainly has a lot of them. Uh, Texas has the pieces. They have the need, whether it's Luke Roy, whether it's a starting pitcher. I think they can land on either side of that. Um, Dodgers are a big one. They haven't made a move yet with all the injuries to starting pitching. They need to make some kind of move. Um, they're kind of rumored for Jay Bruce. Um, but I think if they get Archer, they become a winner. If they don't do anything, they are a huge loser. Um, the White Sox, again, I, I think that they, they kind of come out of this, depending on what happens today, if they don't trade. You know, you have a guy like Todd Frazier who could have some value. Um, free agent after next year, you have Sale Quintana. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. If they, if they had 
more of a direction. I wouldn't call them a loser because of hanging on to Sale and Quintana, but it just feels like they don't. Um, the other one is is Oakland. Um, Oakland is always a big seller at the deadline, it seems, um, I guess, except for when they traded Addison Russell and got Samarja and, and, and Lester a couple of years ago. But, you know, with Rich Hill getting a, a blister going on the DL, people haven't seen him pitch in two weeks. He was the biggest name on the starting pitching market, and now this kind of, you know, puts a wrench into that. So what happens with them? You know, they have a Josh Reddick. They had a Sonny Gray who was a big trade chip, and I think he has the second worst ERA in baseball. So things have kind of turned for them. And in a rebuild, your piece is not, you know, getting those bad breaks for your pieces of value. I mean, that's that's the difference between, you know, getting two or three top 100 prospects into your into your system and not. So I think that they could potentially be a loser as well. That's good stuff, man. That That's a lot of great stuff. And again, we have the baseball deadline unwinding today, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we hope a lot of what Tommy said came to fruition. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a guessing game, and there's a lot of guys on the market, a lot of moving pieces, and uh, that's a lot of baseball talk for our show. I, I don't know how much you listen to us, Tommy, but we, we really don't talk a ton about baseball, and uh, we're very basketball-heavy. We actually wind up dissing baseball a lot in the process. I, I never do such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's kind of understandable for us this year, especially because we are more in tune with other sports, generally speaking. And in terms of baseball, we're more into our local teams. You know, I'm obviously, uh, I can't hide being a Yankee fan. All Joe wanted to do today was talk about <laughs> Ryan Howard. So, Joe, I'm going to let you get your Ryan Howard uh, spiel in if you want to. That's fine. I I gotta preface this by saying all my Phillies games are blacked out, so I don't actually have to deal with Ryan Howard being horrible at baseball this year. But um, I don't think there should be as much backlash towards him. Uh, the Phillies had that good run while he was good for like twelve minutes. I think Philly always complained about never winning a championship and always stinking in all these sports and blah blah blah. And the Phillies, Howard Utley, Jimmy Rollins before he became nine thousand overnight. Those guys all gave him that real quick really good successful run. I think it's one of those deals where you have to eat this now in the back end and just remember there was a time when he was really good and just let it go. Because they're not going to be good with or without him anyway, so it doesn't matter. Just who cares that he makes a bazillion dollars to bat, like 197 or whatever he's batting from the plate. That's, yeah, I think it's that's lost. It. I think it's lost on a lot, of, a lot of fans that when they sign these long-term deals that, well, if you sign, if you sign a player who's 31 to a seven-year deal, you know, you know ahead of time, Let's use John Lester for an example. I think he signed a six-year deal with the Cubs two years ago. You know those last two years might not be very good, but you're looking at those first four, and that's what you're paying for. And if you get a World Series out of it, if you get a ton of success out of it, then you know you kind of have to forget those those back-end years. And so with Howard, everybody forgets that they won the the World Series, and without him, they don't do that. And so really, the last couple of years on somebody's deal, it's everybody wants to say, wow, this deal has been so terrible, but was it really when you look at the grand scheme of it? And that, that usually gets lost. It's the goal that for baseball. I always, like In basketball, they did it with Kobe, and they, people wanted the Heat to do it the way it weighed. They call it the golden parachute, where you know the team's going to stink, mostly. So you just give them these back huge contracts, kind of like Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas. They do it built into the actual long-term deal with baseball guys. Well, Ryan Howard, you knew by the time Howard's last couple years of his deal was coming up, he was going to be old and probably stink, and the whole team was going to stink. So I don't know. I, I just dislike the idea of now we're going to have uh, think pieces in Philadelphia newspapers 
wondering why the Phillies don't move and move on from Howard, or why Howard doesn't deserve the money, or what, like all that, all that stuff, which still makes no sense. And just appreciate, like I, like you, you said it perfectly. You you sign in knowing that deal is, yeah, we're signing him for a six or seven year deal, but the window with this guy is really only three or four years. And if in that window you win, you have to just eat everything else, eat all the rest of the. 197 hitting from the plate in 50, 60 win seasons. Why the team's trying to rebuild through their their farm system? Yeah, and with Brian Howard, a lot of people forget that he just hasn't been the same player since he tore his Achilles in the playoffs, or I think it was the playoffs, run into first base on like the last out of the series. He goes down and tears his Achilles, and he hasn't been the same player since. So there's a lot of things that you can't predict. I mean, with a baseball guy, you never know when the arm's going to go. So giving a pitcher a long term deal. Look at the Cubs and Jake Arrieta. There's no way that I think that they re-sign him to an extension in two years when he's a free agent. He'll be 32. And Theo's, Theo Epstein has said in the past that the mistake they made in Boston was sometimes rewarding people for what they've done instead of paying them for what they're going to do. So that was the thought behind the Jason Hayward deal. He's 26. They gave him 180-some-odd million. It's not for what he's done. It's for what we think he's going to do. You look at a guy like Jake Arrieta – who knows how much he has left because he's a pitcher um, and at 32 wanting 200 million or whatever he's going to want. I just don't see that happening. And, you know, at, at, at the time, I think that'll be an ugly breakup when it happens, but people are going to look back and say, man, I'm glad they didn't do that. Or they're going to look back and he turns out to be awesome. And it's like, <laughs> what the, what the hell? So it's, it's funny that you bring that up, and it's funny that we talk about these bad contracts because, you know, I was talking about how Joe and I aren't as into baseball as, say, we were, you know, even a few years ago. At least I know that's true for myself. I don't know about Joe. But I think one of the things that makes baseball less appealing to us as fans of specific teams is the way these teams can kind of give out a contract or two contracts that can, in a way, cripple the franchise you root for for, you know, five years or so. And it's one of those things that, that is different in baseball than in football and basketball. Football, obviously, contracts aren't guaranteed. Money is, but contracts aren't. And in basketball, you know, you're not getting more than a four- or five-year contract. So you don't see a team that needs to throw 10 years at a player just to get them over another team. So I think, I think that's one of the things that's kind of turned us off into baseball. Joe, what, what else makes you not love baseball? It's not that I don't. That, that's a weird way to put it. It's not that well, I, we like it. So I'm yeah, asking, what makes you dislike baseball? It's just I used to love baseball. I well, I, like I think baseball. I think what it was was uh, it's pretty simple. As I grew up and I started focusing more on other sports and lost time for baseball. And I don't know how it is for everybody else here, but baseball for me was always really regional. I was always very NL East, mostly following, and then I would follow Bonds naturally when he was hitting home runs or McGuire Sosa. Um, but I was very NL East focused. And then like you, you miss like a season for whatever reason. Like I was so into bas- basketball and, uh, I had a weird phase where I'd watch international scouts on YouTube and <laughs> instead of watching baseball, and then you try to come back and you have no idea who anybody is, who's good. And, um, it's a really, it's a, it's a long season to invest. I'm a Phillies fan, obviously it's a long season to invest into a team that's going to be bad. So you kind of like, Oh, I'll just come back when they're good. But even when you come to, like, this year, when I come back to check in, and I I only know two people on the Phillies team, it's just hard to get reinvested. That's all. Like, I think I just lost a year, and then I tried coming back, and I was like, ah, well, they stink. I won't come back till they're decent. 
And then I tried coming back again this year, and I was like, I don't know who anybody is. So you're not emotionally attached. You don't you don't really want to be along for the ride while the team's bad. I still watch, like, Giancarlo Canton. Well, Stan, is that how you name say his name, Tommy, from Miami? Yes. I still love and watch that guy bat. He's, he's like the strongest dude in the history of the world. I'll still tune in for that. But, I mean, as far as following baseball and the way I did, I don't know, at the end of the, maybe the Bonds era, it's just not the same. Here's Here's the thing with baseball that I think is different than the other sports is it's the smart team that wins and it's the smart organizations that win. And I need to explain that before everybody says, well, you're saying that NBA teams are dumb. (laughs) Um, But in baseball, it's the smart teams that win. It's not the rich teams necessarily. It's not the, the big market teams. And if you are dumb in baseball, then you don't stand a chance. If you lose in baseball, I mean, yeah, every once in a while, you know, you can get a Bryce Harper, you can get a Steven Strasburg in the draft, but because the draft is such a is a process where you're not seeing these results until three, four, five years down the road, it's not like you can lose and a Blake Griffin lands in your lap or a Ben Simmons lands in your lap. And I don't want to just the Sixers. I think that what they're doing is smart in the NBA. Um, but I love we have harder. a trust podcast supporter. Right. It, it's it's tough to. In baseball, you can't just you can't be bad and, and luck into some of these things. You have to be able to develop these players in the minor leagues, and that part is a long process. I think you know if you're if I'm a losing team in the NBA, I can get the number one pick, draft a star, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm hooked, and I can come back right away. But in baseball, I don't see that guy for three more years, and so I can't I can't get hooked, and so that's that's one part. Um, you know, you have the contracts where there is no salary cap. So if I'm a team giving out a bad contract, it's not necessarily like, okay, this is only going to hurt me for four years in the NBA. This could hurt me. If I'm, if I'm the angels, I have to pay Albert Pujols an ungodly amount of money for five more years. And he looks like he could, I don't want to say retire today because he still can hit home runs, but you know, outside of that, the guy's breaking down and to think, wow, I have to pay him like $30 million, $25 million a year for five more years, that's nuts. And so that's where I think baseball can can lose people if organizations aren't smart, and it's harder to bring them back in because you know, you're know you not getting the immediate satisfaction of some of these young, talented guys like you do in other sports. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, you know, again, not to keep saying it as a Yankee fan, but with the Yankees, <laughs> halfway through Alex Rodriguez's <laughs> 10-year contract, it was like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do with this guy? He can hardly play. And you, you just you see that happen in baseball. Obviously, Joe was talking about it with Ryan Howard before. And it's one of those things that can kind of turn you off a little bit. One of the other things that kind of bothered me about baseball was it took them so long to adapt to instant replay. I'm really glad that they're finally trying to do that, that they're kind of conscious that they, they do need to speed games up even though they don't want to take more time out. So, you know, they, they put the running clock up on uh, pitching coaches coming out to visit the mound. I think that's pretty cool. What are some other ways, though, that you, Tommy, think uh, baseball's trying to attract younger fans or trying to bring fans back or be even a more fan-friendly sport than, than what it had been maybe 10 years ago? Um, I think some of that has to do with the personalities, and I think that's with any sport, that the better personalities you have in the game, the the better that it is. And so a lot of that is based on the players, and so... You know, Bryce Harper has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, kids want to kids want to be Bryce Harper, and he's got the personality. He's he's got a little bit of swag, and he's 
he's somebody that kids want to relate to, they can relate to. You look at Ken Griffey Jr., the backwards hat. Everybody wore a hat backwards for 20 years because of Ken Griffey Jr. Um, so that's where baseball has to take advantage. They have to do a better job of finding their stars and marketing the hell out of them to younger generations. And so you, know, you get some of these unwritten rules that people are watching like this is like wait what and so you know i don't want to bash old school baseball but do it's it just, it's just adapting and you have to adapt to you know the times and part of that is i think that they just have to find who their stars are and they just really have to have to market them and baseball has the advantage that maybe football doesn't or hockey certainly doesn't that you know those guys are playing with a helmet on so you don't always see their face Right. Um, unless unless they're the quarterback on the sidelines being shown all the time, it's hard to identify them. Baseball players are, are wide wide open um, out there, so you can see their face at all times, and so that should that should really be helping them um, to build recognizable stars. Is there is there a more detrimental thing to the sport of baseball than the unwritten rules of it, which tries to take all the personality out of the game all the time? Like Brian McCann is a cancer to the sport, in my opinion. Yeah, it's 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 tough because you know a, a bat flip, and some guys get it. You know, if you know David Ortiz says, if I hit a ball four hundred feet, you bet your ass I'm going to take my time rounding the bases. Are you kidding me? Um, and if a guy strikes out, he should fist pump and you know whatever. And that's there's so much emotion in there, and it's almost like if a guy gets tackled. Every single time, it doesn't matter if it's 10 yards down the field or three yards in the backfield, he's pounding his chest and it's the greatest thing he's ever done in his career. But if a guy flips his bat or takes the time running the bases, it's like, well, we better make sure that he's carried out on a stretcher next time he comes to the plate. It's like, give me a break. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things that rubs me the wrong way about baseball is the unwritten rules. And, you know, I get it. Like, I get baseball wanting to be that sport that sticks to its guns and is all about tradition it's just i'm not like that and for me it's 2016 and i like to see things be progressive i like to see things change and that, that was one of the main holdups in baseball but i do i do agree with your point about them needing to market stars and i do think that major league baseball is in a good spot right now with so many good young players who are really replace, replacing that older crop of Pujols and a-rod and and other players who were more popular last decade i mean this is the last season of david ortiz Thank God I don't have to see him on my TV anymore. Um, but I, I do think that there are so many good young players who, who are ready to, to take that torch and, and be next. And hopefully with them comes a new crop of fans. And I just, I'm excited for it. I, I have been starting to get a little bit more into baseball over the last few weeks, even though the Yankees just decided to get back into the race for, for S and Gs and they're not going to be good. And I like that they're breaking up the team. It's just... Baseball is a marathon, not a sprint, and I think that's the hardest thing for fans to deal with. Yeah, I'm chubby. Marathons are tough. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we <laughs> Seems did like a good segue. <laughs> we, we did our baseball talk for today, so hopefully we didn't lose too many of our listeners. Maybe we even gained some. And, uh, Tommy, we're so glad that you brought that baseball insight. Now it's time to, to get into <laughs> absurd questions. All right, let's do it. It is time for the absurd questions portion of the podcast. Absurd questions. All right, do you guys want me to lead off with the absurd question then? Yeah, go for it, Joe. All right, so if you could live in a video game world, but it can't be a sports one, which one would it be? 
Oh, wow. Tom, Tommy, are you ready to answer that, or do you want to take a second and, and let the pro get at it? <laughs> well, I think there's only one video game that I play that's not sports, so my answer might be limited, so go ahead. <laughs> it sounds like you know your answer, so I think you're ready. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Let's hear it, Tommy. Well, the only, I think the only game that I play that's not sport is Grand Theft Auto, or was Grand Theft Auto, but that seems kind of like a dangerous <laughs> world to live in. Yeah, so. that doesn't seem good at all to live in that world. I don't know that I'd make it in that one. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, I think Grand Theft Auto is actually the only like non-sports game that I really ever play also. <laughs> um, this is horribly inappropriate, but I already started, so I have to keep going. When I was a kid, my dad had a game for the computer called Leisure Suit Larry. Yes, I remember uh, that. Joe, you know about Leisure yeah, Suit Larry? Yeah, that, that's, that's not PG-rated. No, no, it wasn't PG-rated, um, but I think I, I must have been like 12 or 13 playing it anyway. It's... A real sleazeball guy, as, as if you couldn't tell, the name is Leisure Suit Larry, who uh, just walks around a, a seedy town trying to uh, trying to escort ladies. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't play Leisure Suit Larry. I need to do something better than that. It wouldn't be Zelda, because I'm not into like magic and potions and stuff. Um, I don't know, Joe. That's a really good question. What, what's your answer? Uh, Final I li- Fantasy. It is. I live in I live in Midgar. Final Fantasy Seven. Because all, most of all the horrible things happen, like in that niche groups of good and evil doers. So I just live in Midgard and live a pretty productive life, growing in a flower garden and have magical spells that I can randomly help grow tomatoes. Seems pretty cool. Grow tomatoes. That's what you do in Final Fantasy. I've never no, no, no. It. But like all the side characters, all like non-playable ones, always seem to be growing plants. For some reason, so I assume I'd be growing tomatoes. That's incredible. Uh, I think I'm gonna use. I think I'm kind of like. I don't know if this is a sports game or not, but I'm gonna say WWE No Mercy is the game that I'm gonna live in that world. <laughs> That's a sports world. It's it's come on, wrestling's not a sport. Whoa, not sport. shots fired. No, it's not. Wrestling is not a sport. It's not a sport. It's more sporty than NASCAR and golf. Hey man, th- those are shots fired. <laughs> uh, no, but but really, like, if I could be in No Mercy and kind of do, like, the storyline aspect of it, my creator wrestler was, like, untouchable. What was his name? Oh, man. Why you got to make me say all the embarrassing It's stuff? okay. My guy's name was always Just Insane. Uh, that's pretty cool, slash not creative, because Just Insane was the thing. My wrestler is... My... Wrestler's name was Jared Mintz, but his nickname was Buff Daddy. His nickname was Buff Daddy. I'm glad he had the Jared Mintz aspect. He was, like, shredded. He had a scar in his chest. Who knows what kind of battle wounds he had. Um, so, yeah, I would have lived in no, no Mercy, where I, like, would just beat everybody up senseless. I was so good at that game. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to go now and ask my absurd question. Go ahead. So, last night, my fiancé and I watched uh, the finale of Food Network Star, which is a reality TV show on the Food Network where they pick whoever the next Food Network star is going to be. Shocking. So it made me think of all of the the bad TV I've watched in my day, especially since I've been in a relationship. And it brings back memories of shows like Real Chance of Love and uh, all those other terrible, terrible dating shows that were on VH1 back in the, the late 2000s. So my question to you guys is, what is the worst TV show that you ever invested in and actually liked? Oh, God. Yeah, uh, I want to hear some bad stuff here, guys. Early, early 90s days of our lives when I was a kid, <laughs> they ran an angle where Marlene, these people are still on the show, Marlena started dating a priest, and then she became uh, possessed by the devil, and I watched the entire summer through, 
and they exercise the devil. Now, my wife still watches the show, and they barely bring it up. You think in that world, they talk about that all the time, like, hey, remember when Marlena was possessed by the devil? Because the whole town knew about it, but they never talk about it, like, not even in passing. So, yeah, that whole summer, I was invested in Days of Our Lives. When uh, John Black, he was a priest at the time, Marlena, she was possessed by the devil, and uh, yeah, it was really sucked. It was it was horrible. I but, think uh, if you would have just said Days of Our Lives and not given the example, it would have been fine. Yeah, but you have you have to understand though how absurd it is now when my wife's watching it. Like she watches it like in passing, like as she's falling asleep, and they never mention it. Like in that in a in a world like you would think that's talked about like all the time. Like if I got possessed by the devil today. And then say we're all still doing this podcast 20 years from now, it'd probably be brought up in every conversation we've ever had. Yeah, it's one of those people don't forget type of thing. Yeah, but they forgot about it pretty quick in Days of Our Lives. <laughs> Tommy, well, I think the only, the only show I watch anymore, which I think some people think it's bad TV and it might be, is Survivor. But if we go back, I feel like when I was in you know, middle school that I couldn't wait for summer vacation because that means I could stay at home and watch Mari all morning. So Ooh. I kind of felt invested in that. That's bad TV right there. At like at like 12 years old. I don't think that's bad TV. I think that's guilty, guilt like a guilty pleasure TV. Which is about the same. Yeah, no, but, but it's, Mari's not designed to be good, insightful programming. If, you I'm know ten, if I'm 10 years old, that's, I mean, that's my guilty pleasure at 10. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're kind of what you're into, Tommy Stucky. You might have been murdering raccoons at ten years old for all I know. Well, <laughs> awesome. All right, Tommy, you're you're on the clock, man. What's your absurd question for us? All right, I don't think this is all that absurd, and I don't know if I can if I'm going to really word this right, but I had to stick to baseball, and so I want to know if you guys would rather be someone like Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball, but and people are kind not sick of him, but people are like, okay, this is what we expect. So he, even though he should be a three-time MVP, he's not. Um, he's also on a terrible team that doesn't look like it's going to get any better, so his talent's being wasted. But nobody really says anything bad about him. It's like, yeah, he's the, the number one guy. Or would you rather be a guy like Bryce Harper, who was the number one pick, had all the talent in the world. He's on a winning team, but now he has these. He's the one held to the, the expectations. He's the one that when something said, he, you know, there's backlash. He's hitting a hundred points less than what he was last year. So I know this isn't all that absurd, but I want to stick to the <laughs> baseball, and I just think that we have two two stars who are very different. And I want to know where you fall in and in, in how you'd want to be. Joe, you want to go first? Yeah, the answer. I, I have an answer. So I, I I like both of the guys a lot. Like those are the stars of baseball for the next fifteen, ten years or whatever. Um, I, I still go Bryce Harper. I like guys that are flashy and kind of brash and uh, don't give can an effort. Can you take the heat? Sure, I give you crappy columns all the time, and I take the heat. True. <laughs> so give me give me batting two thirty seven for the Washington Nationals. Still, win- this is the great allegory for my life. Fanrag keeps growing. I'm batting 237, but you know I'm gonna keep getting get riding your guys' coattails. So I'll be Bryce Harper. Bryce, uh, <laughs> Bryce Harper. That's awesome. That, that's a really good answer. And I think actually this is a very absurd question because you're asking me to choose between being like the two coolest guys in baseball, as if one of them has downside. <laughs> yeah, but it's like um, a bad answer. Yeah, yeah, there really isn't. Um, for me, I go Mike Trout. Mike Trout's probably my favorite baseball player. 
I think he kind of looks a little bit like Bane from the Batman movie, so <laughs> that's definitely a plus as well. I mean, it's funny because he already, like, through this point in his career, is aligned with the other all-time greats of baseball. Like, the things he's done through four or five years or whatever, however long he's been in baseball, are just mind-blowing. And, I mean, Bryce Harper is really great, too, and what we saw out of him last year was absurd, and yeah, he set the bar pretty high for himself, but... Mike Trout kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, LeBron in basketball, where it was just, like, he's so good so early that anything he does is going to be put under a microscope, and you're always going to expect more out of him, but he's just going to keep pounding out these fantastic seasons, and, like, the pace he's going at, he's going to be the best baseball player ever. So I know it's a question of, like, whose heat would you rather take? I think if I'm as good as Mike Trout is at anything, I don't give a crap what anybody in the world has to say about me. So for me, it's definitely Mike Trout. Tommy, what would you say? Yeah, I was kind of on the fence, but I think I'm buying into your argument there that, you know, if you're it's if the, you're the best, if you're the best, then who cares? Yeah, and the Bane part. <laughs> Most uh, importantly, the Bane part. So... Yeah, he, he's definitely the best player in baseball. And I, back to the whole, you know, conversation of them needing marketable stars... They're so fortunate that, that they wound up with these two players at the same time in their career. And, you know, they could it could even go back to, to you know, the, the 50s when you had these fantastic outfielders who you're comparing to each other and holding up against one another with these two players. They're just both that special. So I, I don't think you could lose. I think they both probably do pretty well with the ladies as well. So I don't care what any baseball blogger has to say about me if I'm either of those guys. That's a good point. Because at the end of the day, everything you do is for women. <laughs> literally everything no seriously like we had this conversation before when you're 16 years old and you play sports you like the sport but you're still doing it to impress women first car you buy you're not you, you like the car want to impress a woman and so on and so forth you heard it here guys <laughs> mike trout's good at baseball for women that's what i'm saying that's it it makes sense that should be his uh his slogan anyway thank you guys so much for listening tommy thank you so much for joining us this was really a treat and we're so glad that we were able to have a baseball-centric show and really bring the conversation back to baseball, which, you know, again, Joe and I both love. We just cover other sports, so we don't want to be disingenuous. So it was really great to have somebody with the knowledge and the expertise that you have. So, Tommy, tell our listeners where they could find you on Twitter. Tell them where you're writing. T- tell them about yourself a little bit. Um, I'm on Twitter at Stokey Tommy because whoever has Tommy Stokey has it and never responded to my tweet of, hey, can we work out a deal so I can get that from you? Um, probably because he also, I don't think, has ever tweeted, um, which, what a waste, by the way. But anyway. Um, he has, and, he has and, 54 tweets. Nice. Um, <laughs> and you can find me at fanragsports.com and writing baseball at todaysknuckleball.com. Great. Tommy, awesome stuff. Make sure you're following Tommy. Make sure you're following today's knuckleball. Keep an eye on them today with all the trade deadline stuff, and make sure you look out for their reactions to everything that comes down. Again, I am Jared. You can find me on Twitter at jmintshoops, todaysfastbreak.com. We had the new episode of the Charlie Rosen Chronicles go up last week, so make sure you check that out. All my Nick fan friends, Joseph, tell the good people where they could find you. At Joseph Nardone, at Today's Fast Break, at Today's You. Also, we launched a rest- we did a brand ex- extension for wrestling. So today's power ba- power bomb is where you can find my my uh, pro wrestling stuff. Power bomb, like the atom bomb finisher. Power bomb. Yeah, power bomb. Today's power bomb. You guys heard it. Thanks a lot for listening, and thanks again, Tommy. Thanks. 
all around me are familiar websites, worn out clickbait, worn out hot takes, bright and early for the daily link dumps, no one's clicking, no one's clicking, their pupils are filling up their pockets, but not for writers, not for writers. Hide my head, I want to do a slideshow. No tomorrow, no tomorrow. And I find it kind of funny, I find it kind of sad. The internet in which I'm worthless is the best I've ever had. I find it hard to tell you, I find it too hot to take. When people blog in circles, it's a very, very mad world. Mad world.